With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Stansberry Radio Network. So we're here with Mickey Singer, Michael Singer, author of The Untethered Soul, best-selling book, Untethered Soul, and his new book, The Surrender Experiment, just came out. Mickey, if you don't mind, I'm going to describe in like two lines, three lines what your book is, and then you could add to that. Basically, you decided 40 years ago you were going to do this life experiment of surrendering to whatever more or less the universe put in front of you. And then these one after the other, these incredible things happening, including ultimately you know, running or being involved in running a multi-billion dollar company and all the highs and lows that comes with that. And the story is just incredible. Kind of the the untethered soul was more, uh, I would say, the philosophy, the surrender experiments, what actually happened to you. I'm here with Claudia as well. And would you say that's a fair assessment of the, the book or books? Yes. Thanks, James. I'm honored to be here with both you and Claudia, and I really like meeting you both. And uh, look forward to answering your questions. And And by the way, this itself was almost a surrender experiment for us. We both independently read your book and sent emails and then I, I didn't just read the book i was like no seriously no come on <laughs> that's what she kept Every saying page, she was no, in the other room come on <laughs> and we we got an email back and we decided okay we got this email back we're gonna surrender to the universe we're gonna just get on the next plane and fly down here and stay at this wonderful you you moved here 40 years ago in one in your van and then built a house and it was on 10 acres and now it's over a thousand acres or around a thousand acres and all these buildings. We've been had an incredible experience the past few days. At the Temple of the Universe. Yeah, and hanging out with, with you and, and your friends. So this was our surrender to, to podcast with you. Maybe you could kind of um, fill in a little bit more of the story. What happened once you started surrendering or how did you get to that point and then what happened? And we'll Believe me, um, we're interrupters, so we'll interrupt all along the way, if you don't mind. All right. I, I think the right place to start is not with what happened, but with the inner awakening that happened. And that is, back in my 20s, I was in graduate school, finishing a doctorate in economics, 
And I woke up, and I can't explain why or anything like that. I just started to see that I was in here and that my mind was talking all the time and that my heart was emoting these emotions and that I used to listen to all that. It used to be every action, every reactionary thing the mind did and the heart did, I would just be in there jumping, frailing around, trying to be okay. And I woke up one day, all right, and started to watch that instead of be that. And that's what happened to me. So is the voice in the head sort of like how, let's say your boss yells at you, and then you're in the shower thinking of all the things you could be saying to the boss back, or what I should have said. That's that sort of voice, and you found yourself somehow distanced from it. Yes, I was detached from that, and I I noticed it wasn't me. It was something I was watching. It's just that simple. You don't have to get philosophical about it. It's like, I'm noticing that while I'm taking my shower... I have entertainment going on inside my head. You know, somebody's sitting there talking to me. And then it didn't take very long for me to realize it really wasn't that entertaining. <laughs> it was like pretty negative. It was mostly psychological mumbo jumbo, you know, insecurities and fear and defensiveness and, you know, finishing arguments that happened seven years ago are <laughs> still going on in my head. You know, it was like it was a, quite an awakening. And I realized that was always going on in there. But I wasn't aware of it. I was too protective, too involved in it, okay? And now I had woken up to a certain degree. And so I looked at it, and it didn't take me long, an intelligent guy, to realize, I don't think so. This is not a healthy thing to have going on inside. That's my inner environment. This is my sanctuary. I live in here, guys, mm-hmm. right? I don't want that going on inside of me. Why do you think most people don't detach from that voice? Do you think maybe they're thinking, if I think about an argument long enough, I'm going to have the right answer. It it all is fear. By the time you get, because I spent a lot of time with this, by the time you get to the bottom of it, we're scared in here. Like we're in here. We don't know where we came from. We don't even know how we got here, right? We're just in here. And we look out through our eyes. "Ah, There's a lot of stuff out there. A lot of people, places, (laughs) things, noises, colors, shapes from the day we're born, right? And so because of fear, because of, 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 of loss, the sense of I'm lost, I'm just in here and I don't know what to do, we start developing this psyche inside that tries to be okay. That's what it is. I'm scared and I'm trying to be okay. That's the bottom line for everybody. So, so you're, in some sense, it's like a compassionate brain that wants you to be okay but doesn't know how to make you okay. Exactly. You went to your, in essence, you went to your mind because you have this beautiful abstract mind. You're a human being. You have a great mind, right? And you Sometimes. went. Oh, no, you have a great mind. You have a great mind. And you went to that mind from a very early age and you looked outside and said, I'm scared. What do I need to do? And your mind saw a movie where somebody did something. Your mind had a good experience once before. And it will start weaving this story of trying to figure out how everything needs to be and how you need to be in order for you to be okay. Mm. And that's what ends up being inside. And that's that voice of the mind. It constantly telling you that story. Right. And it's very destructive. Mm. You know, just as an aside, and I ask a question anytime you want. I just I keep interrupting. Um, I can ask the question. Yes, we had this conversation. Oh, oh no, I, I, I wanted to ask another ask question. <laughs> I wanted to ask, you know, the brain takes up only 2% of our body mass, but 25% of our calories every day. Do you think it's because that we're doing this constant churning of thoughts while it tries to 
protect us. Absolutely. It's also why we only use a very small percentage of our brain because there are many parts of our brain, but we're totally focused on this fear protection oriented part. And so almost most of what our brain talks about is this personal, how do I be okay? How do I be okay? Do I need money? Do I need to get married? Do I need a relationship? Should I leave my wife? I get, what do I do with the kids? What, blah, 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 right? It's yeah. this constant, what do I need to do to be okay? And what does everybody else need to do for me to be okay? And that becomes the struggle of your life. Right? And, and so how do you think, like for, for you, it seems from reading the book that it almost happened accidentally that you distanced yourself from these thoughts. How come you think... Most people just stay absorbed their whole lives in this ongoing discussion and argument in their heads. First of all, I'm very encouraged by how many people are awake and how many people are waking up. It's an evolution of consciousness. It's like the next level of our awakening, right? It's like we used to just work with our bodies. As a cave people, just work with their bodies. Oh my God, I got to stay alive, right? And then it became this more sociological type situation, right? And now it's becoming more spiritual, And I just think it's an evolutionary process and there are more people waking up and everyone can wake up. Everyone can have this level of awakening. Maybe part of it, to be honest, is because we live in a culture where we don't have to worry about clothing ourselves and and the basic needs. Maslow talked about the hierarchy of needs, right? Mm -hmm. And he talked about self-actualization, right? As being once you've taken care of some of these lower things. Well, Many of us, most of us, and, and again, we should consider us fortunate because it's not true of everybody, don't have to struggle with the basic things every day, mm-hmm. right? And so that allows for an opening. Most people don't take that opening. They just become neurotic about something else, right? It's almost like, that, it's almost like the need for the physical needs and staying alive. We shift that over. Survival gets shift over to the ego, I have a self-concept about how I want people to think of me and how successful I am and so on. Now I have to protect that. I have to figure out how to feed that. So really, it's almost like survival got moved to the psyche. You hear me? All right. Well, this is the next level where you transcend that and you wake up. All right. And so the important thing is not why. Everybody is capable of taking a step back, period. It's not even hard. And the, and what the beauty I've noticed, the untethered soul is waking a lot of people up. And it's not just me. There are other Lots of other beautiful spiritual teachers out there, like Ortoli and, 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 and Krishnamurti, and so many beautiful souls that are out there. And because they are awake, just their presence is waking up other people. Oprah, I consider her a, a person that's doing tremendous amount of work that's I, helping people wake up. I would like to play a little devil's advocate because you live here in the temple of the universe, yes. and I mean, the energy around here is amazing. Yes. So I'm not surprised that you see people. But we run a podcast called Ask Altitude Daily, and the majority of the questions from any stage of life is I am desperate yes. I am stuck yes. I don't know what to do yes. I have no money help Good. yeah like and let's say even like a specific example someone's in Ohio single mother five kids uh, needs to pay the rent has no savings doesn't like her job okay so let's do it All right, let's not worry about why people wake up and why they don't. It's a very deep spiritual question, right? But be aware that everyone is capable of waking up or is capable of living from a deeper place. Let them call it waking up. It's capable of living from a deeper place, period. The fact that you are a human being means that you have everything you need to go to a deeper level. Now let's look at James's question, all right? There are absolutely different life situations that people find themselves in, and they're different for everybody, that are very, very difficult. Right? And we should have compassion for that. We should help each other and all the nice things that we can do. Right, But here's my position. 
there's a problem outside. Does there have to be a problem inside? Outside and inside are two totally different places. Do you understand that? Okay? Outside, you don't have complete control over. I don't care what people tell you. You don't have complete control over the outside. You understand that? There's mm-hmm. genetics. There's cause and effect. There's, there's psychology, personality. There's other people. There's a lot of forces that create the outside. So you shouldn't take an attitude that I'm supposed to be able to control my outside and not have problems. Right? That's not true. All right? You're supposed to be able to handle the outside so that you can do the best that you can to deal with it. Right When you're driving and somebody cuts you off and the car starts spinning around, that's a serious problem, okay? Mm-hmm. So you now have a problem outside. If you freak inside and say, I can't handle this, oh my God, and jump out of the front seat into the back seat of the car and cover your eyes, right? No, 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 right? right? So you now have double trouble, all right? And nothing good's going to come from that. It's exactly the same with every situation we find ourselves in lives for everybody. Yes, there are situations that unfold outside. Can you handle that? Can you start from a position of, yep, that's life. Here it goes. Here's life. This is what's in front of me. I'm okay in here. I'm okay in here. I'm not freaking out. I'm not making it worse. I'm not exaggerating the situation. I'm not in there telling myself, oh, my God, it'll never be okay again. My life is over. Why should I even live? Right? You now have two problems. You have the problem outside and you have the problem inside. All I'm encouraging people to realize is you may not be able to get the outside in a way that is exactly the way that's comfortable to you, all right? Though you can do a lot, and I'll, we'll talk about that, right? But you are in complete control of the inside, and no one will tell you that. Mm-hmm. There's nobody else in there but you. There's no competition for what goes on. In, out here, we're all competing, right? There's no competition, limited resources. There's no economics. There's nothing like that right? You are a free being inside. You are the aware, conscious being, and you are aware that your thoughts are driving you crazy. Do something about it. You're aware that your emotions are difficult for you to handle. Do something about it. Where I want you to get, and where we can get, all of us, is events unfold outside. They come in. They do whatever the heck they do, right? And you're okay. You let go. You're clear. Now that you're clear, look outside and see how you can deal with the situation outside. Deal with trying to repair it, trying to raise it, trying to do something great for it. Not, I can't handle it, so I want to control the situation outside so it fixes my inside. Mm. You're not even trying to fix the situation outside. Do you understand that? You're trying to make it so you can handle it inside. That's not necessarily the best thing to do for what's wrong outside. Mm. So I, I want to make the, the connection between um, your kind of disconnection from that thought process to what you call the surrender experiment that you began, but also in the context of the story we just said, the car going yes. around, you brought it up. You took it to an extreme case. So the car is out of control. Yes. You're jumping in the back seat. Right. Where's the line when you should say, okay, I'm not going to jump in the back seat, but I'm going to start to control the car instead of just letting it go. No, you where don't ever. I, I would never say you just let it go. All I'm saying to me, surrender doesn't mean you don't do anything. People take it too far. You okay, go, they go it. past the middle, right? Surrender is the Tao. That's what's meant by the Tao, the middle, right? You are neither resisting nor completely ignoring what's taking place. You have achieved a place inside yourself where you are not the problem. There's only one problem. That is, I'm in a situation that needs to be dealt with. I am clear about it. I am competent, capable, and present. What should I be doing? And you look outside and you'll see the car spinning this way. And there will be a fairly natural instinct 
to try to straighten that. Do you understand that? Right. As opposed to you're freaking out so you can't feel that instinct. You can't be in harmony with that. All of life is that way. So it's not that surrender doesn't mean you don't do anything. I made that very clear in the book. I said it's not a state of non-using your will. It is that you are using your will to deal with the situation that's in front of you, not to try to fix the fact that you can't handle the situation that's in front of you. I mean, you made it so clear in the book, it was almost like unbelievable. Like you went from being in a van here to, again, not to underline it, but running a a billion dollar company. Mm -hmm. How did that happen? Because I have questions along the way. Right. So my experience... And the book describes that. I'm just asking you for the the My experience, everyone's going to have a different experience. I don't want somebody to read this book on how how to make a million dollars. That's not what the book is. That's absurd to read it that way, okay? (laughs) The book is saying that it is okay to work on yourself. That's what it's saying. Don't be afraid of that. Don't think that you won't be a good mother. Don't think you won't be a good wife or husband or something like that because you have changed your focus from, I'm a mess inside... So I need to control everything around me to get it a way that I can tolerate myself. Right. Remember that sentence. That's really what's happening. You understand that? That's not nice to everybody else. That's not nice to yourself. It's not going to fix anything to try and create an environment where your sickness and your disturbance inside doesn't get too disturbed. That's really putting yourself in a little box, right? Instead, you say, I am in here. This is my house. This is where I live. And I'm going to straighten this up. I'm going to get it nicer inside, right? My experience is that if you do that and that's the work you're doing, that a very different world will unfold in front of you than if you had been jumping in there, manipulating, screaming, carrying on because it wasn't the way you wanted, right? And my experience, as you saw from that book, is that not only was it very different, it was almost miraculous. Mm -hmm. The way things unfolded in a very perfect sequence and everybody showed up at just the right time and each thing... But the truth is, isn't the universe that way? Don't the planets stay in orbit? Don't all the stars? Doesn't every single thing, does your body secrete at the right time? Almost always, right? Mm -hmm. The cells divide and everything happen and your food digests. Isn't it true that 99.999% of everything going on in your universe is perfect? It's so unbelievable if you leave it alone. It just, gravity works. Everything is in harmony with everything else. So if you are willing to not project your problems on the outside world, maybe you'll be very surprised at what is naturally unfolding. Maybe the right person does show up at the right time, you know, in in terms of the overall balance of creation. And that's what they talk about, right? That's the Bible. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I I have a, um, there is a scene in in the beginning of the book. So you you find yourself in the situation where you have exactly the amount of money required to buy a piece of property. And so you finally have a little place and miraculously you get a house. (laughs) And and then one day you're coming back from California and there is someone in your property building another house. Normally, like if you run this by any American or pretty much, I'm going to say anybody in the world, I, I can already hear what goes through my, I mean, my mind just went berserk, yes. right? And I, I think yours went too. Yes. So what happened? So what I started telling you is when I woke up and I made a commitment to myself, which is I knew that I couldn't have the life at the level I wanted it, with all this disturbance going on inside my head. Like, I was my own worst enemy. 
I was judging everything, valuing everything, complaining about everything. It just was not a reasonable environment. Come on, I grew up in the 60s, you know, we're supposed to be happy people, all right? And it was not, right? You understand that? And no matter what you created outside, if it's like that inside, you're not going to be okay, all right? So I committed myself, and I'm serious, I committed myself to say I'm going to clean this up. So different situations unfolded along the way, and the book tells these stories where the outside world caused my mind to have trouble, (laughs) okay? It wasn't what I wanted, right? It just wasn't what I wanted. And I told you in the book, I said I started this experiment, and what it said was, if the only reason I'm not okay with what unfolded outside is because of personal preference, in other words, what if I did like it, right? Well, then I'd be happy. Right. Well, what if I didn't like it? Then the exact same thing would make me unhappy. That's called personal preference. You understand that? So the same event could unfold, right? And depending on what I felt about it, determined what was happening, right? No, that's a non-starter, right? That meant I was doing it. Now, that's very different if somebody, you know, takes a hammer and smashes my hand. You know, whether I like it or not, I got a smashed <laughs> hand, right? There are repercussions to that, right? right? There are no repercussions. If somebody drives by and passes me on the road and I'm a neurotic, you know, control freak and that's not okay with me, you understand that? And I start getting all uptight because somebody passed me, right? That's just me. That's not the act. If I let somebody pass me, they pass me, right? What if I like them passing me and they're not behind me anymore? Do you see what I'm saying? It's like if it's just a personal preference that's causing the trouble, I'm letting go. So that that seems like the line. That was the line. So it's personal preference versus, let's say, external repercussions. Yes, yes. So so let's take uh, around the similar time or a little bit later, you stumbled into your first... I think it was a a TRS-80, your first computer, and something in you, of course, lit up. You Mm -hmm. wanted to try it. So that's almost a personal preference on the positive side. Mm -hmm. How do you kind of regulate these positive things? Like, I'm going to go out and be a good programmer, say. Well, first, and it's a subtle difference. Well, let me ask you first in the way, because I want to make it a non-argument, non-anything, right? Is... Fine, if something positive happens to you and you feel attracted to it and there's no repercussions other than a natural... I always tell people, don't, don't get weird on me. If somebody puts two foods in front of you and one is something you really like and the other is something you really don't like so much, right? And there's no repercussions. Just pick whichever one you want. Take the one you like. <laughs> okay, there. Now you can breathe easy. And it was, I always tell people, this, this, this is not about renunciation. This is, there's no value in renunciation, right? This is about non-attachment. This is about being okay inside, mm. all right? Now, it just so happened with your example with the computer is it, it's subtle, but it wasn't a personal preference. It wasn't like, oh, I always thought I wanted to use a computer. I never even thought about a computer. I never even knew the, you know, it wasn't anything <laughs> like that, right? It was a deep inspiration, you know, a beautiful energy that came up from inside that was pulling me toward it, right? It was very inspiring, okay? Yeah, we follow that stuff, right? That's, that's from a deeper place than our psyche. That didn't come from the psyche. It came from the soul. You know, it came from the heart. You know? do, do you think you had to be kind of clean yes. on the inside to have that inspiration? I, I, yes. Because a lot of people ask, how do I find my passion? That's right. And, but, but they might not be, I don't know whether they are or not. We just get the emails. They might not be whatever. But that's I mean, why, like, James. Mm. In other words, you're in here. It's just like I'm in this room, and there's a number of people in this room, right? Who am I listening to? 
Well, it'd generally be the one who makes the most noise. <laughs> it'd be the squeaky wheel. Okay, it'd be the squeaky wheel, right? Well, your ego—not yours personally, but but all of it—the ego, the the personal mind, the preferences, the dislikes, the likes, the past experiences that we couldn't handle. There's all this junk that we've built up inside ourselves. Pretty noisy, all right. Whereas the deeper things are quieter. And they come up, and we can't pay. We don't pay attention to them, so we put all of our attention on a, the lower part of our being, right? Survival, fear, need, all this kind of stuff, right? And then we can't tune in to the higher things. So, as you work your way through that part of your being, it becomes totally natural to find your passion, to become more inspired, right? And so, so at this point, you had been kind of six years into this experiment, five or six years into this experiment when you picked up that first piece of software or computer or whatever. So do you think that amount of, I mean, of course it could happen instantly, but do you think also that amount of time helped you to be clear about, okay, this is, I'm going to let this energy come through and and start working with computers? The beauty of the book, The Surrender Experiment, is it clearly shows a step-by-step process. And that's why a lot of people say they like that, mm-hmm. right? It's not just somebody telling about spiritual experiences or something like that. You're there with me, and you're growing step-by-step, letting go, next event. Letting, it's a staircase. You're just working your way up. So, and part of the perfection of the universe that I've experienced is you're presented with that which you're ready for, right? Next. There's one or two, you're living in one of two universes. The one of your own commotion, Right? And then you made decisions based on your commotion, and next thing you know, you're holding the bag, right? And this is going on, and all of a sudden you get this mess going on outside of you because you projected the mess inside of you onto the outside of you. Do you understand that? Yeah. Right? If you're really lonely and messed up inside and you're trying to find a woman or a man and you start dressing a certain way and driving a certain type of car and telling lies and overselling yourself, God forbid the person fall in love with you. Because mm-hmm. they didn't fall in love with you. Right? They fell in love with some made-up false thing and now you don't know what to wear next time and you got all this neurosis going on in the relationship. Do you understand that? Or, I usually start telling the truth three months later. Okay. <laughs> or, or you let go of that part of yourself. And you realize love is inside of me. When you experience love, it's inside, not outside. You understand? The fact that it requires something outside of you to somehow line up this mess you've made inside of you so that you can feel the love that's behind it, right? If you thin out that mess, you will feel love way more until eventually, from the time you wake up in the morning until you go to bed asleep, you just feel this love. It's just that's your, that's your state. Like it used to be noise, now it's love. Right? It used to be trouble. Now it's this beautiful flow of energy that happens to be behind all the mess. So, but you have to do deep work on yourself. You right? It's not a question of six years, by the way. No, there's no time. Somebody else could be nothing. All right? It's a question of, do you understand that right now you're chasing the wrong thing? You're letting the sicker, not the sicker, I don't use that word, but the lower part of your being, these disturbances you built up inside yourself, the weaker stuff inside of you, Tell your mind, right? Let your mind figure out what do I need to do to make this be okay? And then you're going out there into the world and trying to manipulate and control the world based on that. What deep spirituality, yoga, the deeper teachings are about is I need to straighten this up in here. Mm. I don't need to lay my stuff on everybody else. I need to straighten this up. I need to find my center, find the beauty that's inside of me. And so the work becomes letting go of that part of you now, once you have found some inspiration, some beauty, some joy, some love, 
by all means, beautiful things will unfold in front of you. Share it, get married, have kids. It, there's nothing you're not doing, right? It's that you're coming from a deeper place. If you get married, it's because you're filled with love and you end up being together. And so it's beautiful to make these commitments. It's not because I'm not okay and she's going to make me okay. Because mm-hmm. that ain't going to happen. Right. Right? <laughs> this morning you were saying something very beautiful in, in uh, when you were giving a talk. And by the way, all the chants in the temple are in English, and that was refreshing to understand all the words. And then you were saying, uh, everybody wants techniques. How, how do I do this? And one of them you were saying was just relax. Yes. Uh, it's that simple. When it's all said and done, it's that simple. The world is going to unfold in front of you. It is going to come in through your senses and it's going to hit your stuff. And I think you all know what I mean by that, right? It's going to drop into your psyche and all the stuff you collected in there, your past fears and experiences are going to get stimulated, right? And you're either going to go with that or you're going to relax and let it go. That's it. That's the entire path. If you will relax, you don't make it relax. As people say, it won't relax. I didn't tell it to relax. I told you to relax. You just, you are the consciousness, the awareness of being. People will come to me and say, but you don't understand, Mickey, my mind won't shut up. You know what I'll say to them? How do you know? They'll get so mad at me. How, how do you know it won't shut up? Well, 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 I'm in here. I hear it. <laughs> Be in there and relax from that place. While hearing the voice. It doesn't matter. You relax. There's a difference between hearing the voice and listening to the voice. Mm-hmm. Do you see that? Right. Right? Now, the crickets are chirping, but I'm listening to you, not to them. Eventually, the voice is just the crickets in the background. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's your psycho-psyche being the neurotic self that it is. You understand that? You don't have to, you don't have to own that and fix that. You just have to not be that. You're the one who notice. You do notice that, don't you? Mm-hmm. Then relax. Just relax. Let go. Don't get pulled into it. Let go and relax behind it, right? It's a technique you need to learn. It's the highest technique, letting go. Mm-hmm. And that's what surrender is. And so, so in the book, you know, of course, life is always a roller coaster, no matter what happens on the inside. Externally, life is a roller coaster, and you've been through it. And you describe many situations in the book. What was the most difficult situation where you were really, you had, the, let's say, the hardest time disconnecting from that voice and letting go if there was a hard time i don't know of course i would like to say that the universe and god is such that it kept me pushed against my comfort zone at the edge at all times as fast as i could go so it's it's not like i would sit there and say oh no nothing ever bothered me (laughs) i'm not interested in that you know what i'm saying Uh it's it's that each the reason i hesitated is in the beginning i wasn't as practiced we use the word evolve, but I don't want to use that word. I wasn't as practiced in it. Therefore, even something fairly small caused a disturbance, right? There's a story I don't tell in the book, all right? Because we, we edited a lot out, right? We made it small, right? But there's a story that I, when I was really living alone, I was totally in solitude, and I was out here, and I thought it was all about being in solitude. And some guy started coming out onto the land. It was way before the stories I told, right? In the beginning. And... I'm almost embarrassed to tell the story now. He was in a tunic, 
like an Egyptian white tunic, all right, with some kind of Egyptian letter on it, right? He was into some occult thing or something and had heard that somebody was meditating out here. And he just started hanging out on my land and walking around. Oh, my God, I don't have anything to do with him. I didn't want to go anywhere near anything like that. And he'd come back and just walk in front of my house, which was all glass, so I couldn't miss him, right? And it caused me a lot of trouble. Right? I was like, it didn't have to. I could have just ignored him, right? He's outside. I'm inside, right? It, I didn't have to do it, but it disturbed my meditation. I didn't want him out there when I was meditating. Why? You're meditating inside. It has nothing to do with him being outside, right? But nah, my mind was having a lot of trouble with this, right? And so there, there's a situation where it was, it was a nothing. Later in my life, I would look at it as nothing. It was cute, right? So, but it was causing disturbance for the state I was in at that time. You know what I did? Hmm. I sat down. I got up from my meditation one night. You killed him. <laughs> I got up from my meditation one night. I opened the door and called out to him and asked him whether he would like to come in for dinner and meditate with me. And it was like, nothing inside my being wanted to do that. Are you kidding me? All right. But I was making a choice. Which do you want to listen to? You want to give in to that stupid, neurotic self inside of you, right? So the guy came in, he wanted to meditate. I said, well, okay, before dinner, I meditate, right? Well, he thought five minutes. Well, I used to meditate for an hour before dinner. So I went upstairs, I sat there, and he's restless, moving around, all this kind of stuff, right? And it was time for dinner. Well, all I ate was this little tiny little dinner salad, right? That guy never came back. <laughs> so I got rid of two things that night. That voice inside my head, I let him know, you're not running things here. Mm. Sorry. Sorry that there's somebody walking outside that you don't like. Mm-hmm. You understand that? Mm. You're not the boss. You don't own me. And we're going to let go. Right? And that's... So I'm showing you that example was a simple little nothing. Right? People walk around now all the time. It doesn't bother me one single iota. Mm. You follow me? Right? But then I wasn't ready. Right? Then, of course, bigger... From the, I won't talk, you know, I don't want to take surprise away from the book, but the whole legal thing that happened in the end, of course, was very large, right? It's a shocking kind of thing. But it was no different to me than, not even close, in fact. I had more trouble. My mind gave me more trouble about that guy walking around outside in a tunic than the entire legal thing. Wow. Right. You even discussed how you wanted to say hello to the prosecutor, That's right. That's right. and your attorneys were like, no, don't do that. <laughs> right. But what about. Not even the prosecution, but the fact that, and this is not giving away too much, somebody was stealing from you that led to that situation. Absolutely. How did you internally, you know, and the fact that nobody was listening in, in, in let's say, the, the authorities. Right. So that would have been painful to me. It, it, there is no question that being in a situation, any situation, where you feel that people don't understand what you're saying. They're not listening. You know, they've got their own view and it's not what happened, right? You know, there's a total misunderstanding, right? But yet nobody's listening. That, the ego does not like that. Mm-hmm. One single iota. You know, it's like being drowned. It's like being held underwater, right? But the beauty of the situation was I had no choice. There was nothing you could do about it. Do you understand that, right? There's nothing you could do. So you either suffered or you didn't. And every single step of the way, I chose not to. Period. I chose not to suffer. So you saw it coming up like, oh, I'm about to get angry. And, and then looked, you would... I never felt anger. It's fear, right? The fear creates anger, right? But I, I, in any event, basically what you would feel is fear, 
You feel fear. Oh my God, what's going to happen to me? These people are believing a non-lie is a non-truth and I, nobody even wants to hear what happened, right? And so you you sit there and look at that and say, if I give in to that, because again, I've been, by that point, I've done years and years and years and 10, 20, 30 years of work on myself, right? Mm-hmm. And so the decision is always the same. Is this any different? And the answer is no. Mm-hmm. It's bigger. It's more dangerous. But it's not any different. There's still something happening outside and this is my house in here. Mm-hmm. My house is staying clean. That doesn't mean that there's not stuff that's coming up, right? I'm letting it go. I'm relaxing. I'm relaxing. As long as I'm relaxing, it comes and goes. Sometimes it's hot. Sometimes it's not. But I'm always okay. Period. And so what about in, um, there were many complex decisions you had to make, you know, of course, in the business world. So you you started building up this this company. You were having uh uh, your revenues were going straight up, and then other companies put pressure on you to merge. Something you didn't, your personal preference was that you didn't want it to happen. Sure. And that's a fairly complex decision to say, okay, I'm going to merge and then IPO a company. How did you kind of navigate those waters, both internally and externally? Right. My experience is, and this is very difficult for people to hear, you understand? That's a very deep question you just asked. My experience is that if you try to live in your mind, it's very complicated because then the mind wants to understand everything. You understand that? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have the variables. There's too many variables. It's very big. The world is very big. Anything can happen. It tries to look at every single thing and look at every contingency and all this sort of stuff. And it gets very, very confusing. Okay? My experience is that life isn't really like that. Life unfolds step by step. And if you pay attention and don't get all involved in your personal preferences for or against something and you listen you just listen and pay attention, you will get a feel for what's happening. Mm. Do you understand that? And if you will follow that, just step by step, not now I know. No, you don't know. You know so far what is unfolding. It's like a river is flowing and you're going with it. You understand that? You don't know where it's going to turn next, but you know how to run, steer your boat. You know how to keep the boat steady. You know how to be ready. And that's more of the attitude, even in business, even in spirituality, that I always did everything with my life. And so it's more of a a listening, a harmonizing, and being with the moment. And so I mentioned in the book that one of the things that was important, I didn't, of course I didn't want to. I love running my own company. I'd never worked for anybody else in my life. I didn't want to have anything to do with it, right? But it was what was happening. It was right for everybody else, right? There were these hundreds of dealers that, that, you know, could be here today, gone tomorrow. You know, can't get any equity out of, it's not easy for small dealers to get equity out of the investments that they made, right? And so it was obvious that I had to choose. Was I going to listen to my stupid personal preference and what Mickey would prefer, right? Or listen and see what was going on that was for the benefit of the whole. Mm -hmm. And if you look from the whole, you make some really better decisions. Understand that? That's a whole new component, though, because then it's just not, uh, is it my preference, is it not my preference? But when it involves so many other people, as in the situation of business, it's also what is good for everyone involved. If you look at the whole, you're always better off, right? And that goes for the environment, that goes for the society, that goes, right? In other words, at some point, we're just too caught in ourselves. And the only thing we can see is our own personal fears and desires. You understand that? And that is how most people live. This is about me, all right? And I'm trying to make a decision of what will be best for me. Even then, you don't know what the right decision is, right? When you let go of that part of you over time, 
your vision is not limited to you. You start seeing other people. You start seeing a community. You start seeing the whole creation. You start seeing the whole thing. And you let the factors of the whole be part of what's coming into you. Mm. And decisions are way easier. Things that seem like you wouldn't know what to do, you know exactly what to do. You know what's right. You just didn't want to do it. Mm. So it's interesting. It's, it's again, relates to your... And I hate to make it like a technique, but it, it relates to your earlier line. Look at your personal preferences. And then earlier you said, if it has negative repercussions externally, don't do it. Here's a case where something you thought without having all the variables, okay, this looks like it has positive repercussions. So you did it. it, it was, Even though it was against your personal preference. It, there was one thing I knew for sure. Mickey liked doing his own thing. Mickey didn't want to get involved with all these people, all this kind of stuff. He liked having his own little clean company and he was under control and he did his thing. Okay? Whoopee. What's new? You follow me? Mm -hmm. All right? I don't want that to be the decision maker. It's just that simple. I had learned that that's not the decision maker, right? So it's almost like somebody would then say, but what is the decision maker? How about I look in the eye and say, not that is good enough. (laughs) Just being open enough to where not that is a decision maker, mm. there are many other forces and factors come in mm. to where you find a deeper harmony, right? And, and by the way, it's not even like I measure outcome by saying, well, what ended up happening, right? It's like what ended up happening is a continuation of a journey, right? You don't get to sit there and say, but I, I wanted it to be this, right? It's good enough to follow the flow. It's good enough to enjoy your life and enjoy serving and be involved and surrender to the unfolding of the universe that's happening around you, come in harmony with it. That is in and of itself its own journey and its own reward. And the reward of not carrying this mess inside your head, right? That it was about me and I didn't get what I wanted or I should have gotten this. You'll never be okay. You know that. The mind is never okay. Versus you let go of that, and all of a sudden you are okay during all of it. And that's the beauty of the surrender experiment. It shows all these different positive and negative things that happen. And not only was I okay with all of them, by the time they were done, I was more okay than I'd ever been before forever. Wow. They were growth experiences. That's what's wrong with us. What we're trying to do is stop our growth. We're trying to say, I'm only okay with this person, this situation, being treated this way and this kind of thing, and now I have to make that happen. Well, then you don't grow. You stay stuck exactly where you are. It, it's almost like the worst experience is, and by worst, That's I'm right. using like the general external right. judgment. Right. Event. The worst experience is, it's like, oh, wow, here's an opportunity to really take a step. It, absolutely. Every, there is no lose once you start playing this game. Once you understand that the less of you that's in the way of you experiencing life is the better off you and everybody else is, the more you can actually experience that here and now experience of life coming into you is, is oh, my God, it's a peak experience. It's a beautiful experience. Right? People do all kinds of things. They climb Mount Everest, right? Because of the realness of the experience, right? I'm telling you, every minute of every day for everybody is like climbing Mount Everest. 
It is a situation that's unfolding in front of them that's challenging them to the depth of their being. They've just decided they don't want to be on a mountain climbing Mm -hmm. it, right? You change your attitude, and then what you said is true. If it unfolds in a way that doors are opening up and someone, well, this is beautiful. It's beautiful. You get to sail, clear sailings, right? If a storm comes and you've got to bring out your best sailors and hang on to the rudder and, you know, coming about, right? And you just get, then you're a better sailor, aren't you, that you went through that typhoon? Right. You follow me? So that's life. Life is always teaching you. It's always improving you. It's always making you greater if you're willing to dance the dance that's there. Not if you've decided I will only be okay if it matches what I want. Does that make sense? Yeah. Another thing I really like that you said today that it made me go, oh, thank God, is that you said you don't have to meditate, you don't have to sit straight, you don't have to do yoga, you can if you want to, but it's not really about that, you just have to relax. (laughs) And I was like, thank God. But I also said that it's good to do those things. Oh, no, of course, of course. <laughs> She's a yoga instructor. There is also the balance, but it's not like you have to sit for an hour in a straight position until everything hurts. It means nothing to do that. In other words, if you get into an asana and it's stressful, a little painful to you, right? The only benefit is that you learn to relax in the face of that stress. Because then... On our everyday situation, when the husband says, oh, sweetheart, when you come home tonight, we need to have a talk. <laughs> right? All of it. That, to me, is an asana. That, to mm-hmm. me, is a yoga posture. That now something that's uncomfortable right, is there. Can you relax through that? Can you still have a beautiful day? Can you be comfortable? Can you not have built in your mind what the heck he or she's going to talk about and, and answer it every, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Can you just relax? and be present in the moment. Mm. You follow me? So asanas help you do that, right? Meditation helps you do that. Otherwise, it has no meaning, right? It's all about you and your willingness to let go of yourself. Now, it just so happens that if you do let go of yourself, then the anchor goes away and you start this ascent, this very natural, beautiful ascent where you start feeling joy. I mean, you literally feel an energy that you never felt before rising up inside of you. Literally, not you're supposed to, right? And you feel different centers open. You feel all kinds of stuff, right? And you feel tremendous. You wake up in the morning with waves of ecstasy pouring through your being. Lay there as long as you want, just wave after wave after wave. That is a natural state of your being. Just like health is a natural state of your body, you know, within reason, your body's meant to be healthy. Look at all the systems it has to try and make it be healthy, right or wrong, despite you, all right? Your inner state is meant to be healthy. And I mean really healthy. Filled with joy, filled with love. To me, that's what the Bible means when it says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that leaveth the mouth of the Father. In other words, your only food is not just the stuff you take in from outside, a relationship of this, finance, careers, right? You get fed from inside. And I mean fed really strongly. And so that's when spirituality and psychology, you start seeing the relationship. If you let go of your psyche, you will realize there's something much deeper going on inside mm-hmm. you. Well, and, and you mentioned that, I, now I forget which of the two books, but how, you know, obviously we eat food to have energy, but you say if you're 
blocked or closed, let's say you're obsessing on a relationship or a boss or a situation, you'll suddenly feel lethargic and you won't have that energy no matter what you're doing. So if you attach too much to the external situation, it's going to shut down some center within (laughs) you that brings energy. Period. This is yoga. Mm -hmm. We're talking now is pure yoga, right? There is an energy flow inside. We are blocked. And we know what we mean by block. We don't understand that you're actually blocking that energy. So when I'm blocked and all of a sudden a good-looking woman or a handsome man or someone I'm attracted to shows up and starts being nice to me, right, I'm willing to open. I'm willing to not be blocked. Then all of a sudden I feel all this incitement. and go, oh, my God, I get turned on. Well, that's there all the time. That has nothing to do with the other person. It has to do with you being willing to open because your psyche gave you permission because it got what it wanted. You understand that? If in one second that person turns around and talks the nice way to the person next to you, you'll close right back down. You'll think he's the worst person that ever walked the face of the earth. You'll hate him. You understand that? It's like you're doing this, right? Because you're carrying. And what I'm encouraging is thin out. Go on a diet inside. Thin out on the stuff you're carrying inside, and all of a sudden, a bird will take off. You'll feel the same joy, the same love, right? Somebody will tell you a story of what happened to them, and it will be just as exciting as if it happened to you. Everything will open you, and you just feel joy all the time. Why not? Why would I not do that? Why do I have to, why do I have to set up obstacles and then jump over them in order to feel the joy that's already inside of me? Right. It's a stupid game. I'm not playing it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to cheat. I'm going to take down the, the hurdles. So once you began this experiment, it really was remarkable what happened. Like you more and more naturally expanded the area you live in. Now it's this beautiful, amazing space that we've both had an opportunity to see. Your business flourished. Your relationships flourished. And again, there was ups and downs, but it seems like you were you use them as these growth experiences. I think both books are remarkable. We read The Untethered Soul not knowing your background at all. It's almost amazing when you see someone from what it seems like one background also be kind of a master of another background because uh, mastery is such an, an interesting thing to see how they're related. And I definitely encourage everyone to read the surrender experiment it's a it's a beautiful book describing specifically your adventure along the way as you were doing this experiment why do you call it an experiment it was an experiment because most of us think that nothing good is going to happen in life unless i make it Mm. that's how we we don't realize we think that right we're inside we're scared we've developed all these concepts of how things need to be for us to be okay and we think that life is a battle a fight that it's it's against me unless I make it before me, right? It's, we don't say it out loud like that, but take a look at everybody. It's, well, we do. We set goals. We do set goals and say that we won't be okay unless we'll get them, right? Which is like to limit life, right? The experiment is, that's another side we haven't talked about, is like life done a pretty good job by itself. Mm-hmm. We talked about that this morning. You know, the scientists tell us 13.8 billion years ago, they were just these hydrogen helium gases so thick that no light could pass through them. Right? And now they turn themselves into this? That's pretty miraculous. Mm -hmm. To me, the most miraculous is the DNA molecule that holds the entire structure of of every cell in the human body. But it's made out of those gases. Mm -hmm. Nothing got added to this, right? So life is pretty intelligent. Life is pretty phenomenal. Life's done quite a job. No human did that. Mm -hmm. Life did that. So the experiment is as follows if it could do that, 
maybe what's unfolding in front of me is just fine, but I'm too scared of it. I'm too scared to see where it's going. I'm too scared, right? Look at all the different stages life went through. You understand that? Before it became this. And, and related to that is what you said earlier, we're never going to know all the variables. Not, not even close. And you just get comfortable. That's the experiment. It's an experiment that says, I didn't make all this. I didn't make the moment that's in front of me. And the moment in front of me is not there for me. It would be there whether I was there or not, wouldn't it? Right? My favorite is I pick you up and I drop you onto a street in Paris. The street in Paris, the people, everything was there before you got there. Right. And if I pick you up, it's still going to be there. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with you. Well, neither does any other moment. <laughs> it's just a moment unfolding in the universe that you happen to be seeing. Do you understand that? Yeah. It's not personal. And so the question becomes, do you want to learn how to handle the reality that's unfolding in front of you so that, and this is where I get my bottom line, so that your life can be, come about serving serving the moments that are unfolding in front of you instead of manipulating and controlling them to try and make it match what's wrong inside of you. Those are two totally different lives. That's a great way to put it, just serving the moment. You serve the moment, raise it. What can I do? It's going somewheres. Can I be in harmony with it? How can I help it instead of complaining about it? So Let me ask an, an aside question. The untethered soul comes out a few years later Oprah Winfrey calls and says, come on my show. How excited were you? I wasn't excited, right? It it literally happened uh, right here in this house. You happened to be in my house, right? And one Sunday, my cell phone rang. And I, people don't, I don't give out my cell phone number very often, right? (laughs) My cell phone rang and I picked it up. And the lady on the other end said, hello, is this Michael Singer? I said, yes. She said, this is Oprah Winfrey. Jesus. <laughs> How did she know your phone number? The, is she like, <laughs> she'll tell you. Like, it really was very beautiful, right? Is a week before, right? Maybe even two weeks before, I guess she got mad at me. Whatever. <laughs> a week, two weeks before, the earth rumbled. Like, I mean, holy mackerel. Anyone that knew anything about Mickey Singer got a phone call. My publisher, my my wife Donna has her own phone number, right? Her phone number started ringing, because I don't have a listed number. And and everybody, anything that had anything to do or could possibly know Mickey Singer was getting called by Oprah Winfrey's staff. Oprah wants Mickey Singer's phone number, right? And remember, we we sat there and said, well, we'll we'll, we'll send it to you, right, uh, over over the weekend, we realize you want it or something. And they kept writing back, no, right now, right? We need it right away, right? And so (laughs) we, we sent sent in the phone number and it was a few weeks later that she called right and uh, so that's how she got the phone number but the net result was it was just what happened next I don't know how to explain it am I honored of course I am I have tremendous respect for her right tremendous not because of the power what effect she can have but my god that lady's helping a lot of people yeah. you know people don't, aren't willing to look at that it's like Man, she's like Moses. She's helping a lot of people. A lot of people are being raised, right, and and open to spirituality and to deepening themselves and so on because of her presence on the planet. She's a serious force, right? So I was honored to get to talk to her. We talked for 45 minutes, right? We had a long talk, and I had a lot of respect for her. And so basically she asked if I would do an interview, and I'd never, ever done an interview in my life. All right. In fact, this may be my second or third <laughs> being with you. I, I generally say no. All right, and uh, it, was, it was a beautiful experience. It just unfolded perfectly fine. Right, and it was just a surrender. I surrendered to it. Right, it wasn't a sense of excitement or something like that. It was a sense of adventure. Right, it was more of a sense of oh boy. I haven't done anything. I'd never done television before. What? Another part of the experiment. It's a experiment. It was just another thing. Look what God did now. 
Mm. Look what God did now. Like my first interview and my first time behind the camera, wow. right, was up there in Chicago <laughs> talking to Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> That's amazing. That's what happened. Well, uh, Mickey Singer, Michael Singer on your on your books. Uh, again, The Surrender Experiment, The Untethered Soul, Surrender Experiment's the one that just came out. I highly encourage people to read it. It's been such an honor to uh, interview you because we've been fans for years. We read The Untethered Experiment, I don't know, four or five years ago. Untethered Soul. Uh, Untethered Soul. I'm combining them both now. That's, <laughs> that's the Omnibus uh, edition. <laughs> But uh, very honored to interview you, and uh, I'm glad you made the, the time for us and invited us down to your home. It's a pleasure meeting you both. Thank, Thank you. you. For more from James, check out The James Altucher Show on the Stansberry Radio Network at stansberryradio.com and get yourself on the free insiders list today. <laughs>